Sorry, I always get a lot of, I get a little snotty and emotional during that song, so um, I love the words uh, of that. I want to thank you guys uh, personally just for um, praying for our family this past week. Uh, I know I shared uh, with a lot of you via email, just my daughter got a concussion this week, um, her second one, and so it's been, it's been a long week. Um, she's slowly um, recovering as long as she doesn't try to get up and do anything, so as long as she's in bed... Um, she, she does pretty well, so just keep praying for her, um, I, but I really appreciate having um, people in it with me this week. So, The last couple of weeks, uh, about two weeks ago, we began our new series for this year called Life Together, and some of the phrases that uh, we've been looking at, uh, things that Jesus said, things that the Apostle Paul said about what doing life together as a church uh, really means, I just want to give you a rundown of some of those phrases that we've We've taken a look at this week. Uh, oneness, complete unity, completely humble and gentle, patiently bearing with one another, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, agreeing with one another so that there may be no divisions among you perfectly united in mind and thought. So if you're like me, um, there are some days that I wish the Bible wasn't so demanding, and days that I wish that, that Jesus wasn't so perfect um, and didn't set such a high standard, days when I wish in my Christian walk uh, that some, every once in a while I like him to just kind of lower the bar, you know? It's show me how I can kind of coast on this thing a little bit. That, that sounds like more fun to me sometimes. But as I've been studying this the last few weeks, it's becoming quite clear to me that this process of, of really doing life together in community and trying to figure out how in the 21st century, how to be family at church, this is probably going to be one of the greatest challenges that we'll, that we'll ever face. And I was praying this morning in, in our little circle before the service, and I was thinking, you know, each one of us have our own kind of individual, personal life and relationship with God um, that we all face our own battles and struggles on. And then when you try to combine all of us together, messed up people, and then try to do family, I mean, that's, that's a challenge, right? It's hard enough just dealing with me, let alone the dynamics of what happens when hundreds of messed up people get together and try to do life. And I will admit that there are, there's a giant part of me that wishes that I could just do things my own way. And I think some of us would just like to do church on our own terms, and actually, a lot of us do. We decide how we'll serve and how much we're willing to serve, how often uh, we're going to go to church, how willing we are to be stretched spiritually, how willing we are to associate with certain people at church. We like all the, the benefits. We like the idea of being saved, of, of going to heaven, of how much God loves us, being a good person or being seen as one. We like the warm fuzzies that we get when we sing a song at church that really makes us feel great inside. We love the friends that we make at Wellspring. But then for each one of us, there are those boundaries that we set up, you know? God, I love all that stuff, all those benefits, but I, I'm only willing to really kind of go this far. Um, and it could be a, a lot of different topics. Um, you know, I like my church experience to be this way. I like to come this often. I'm comfortable with being challenged to this level. 
but don't really ask me to go much beyond that. And it certainly made me wonder as I was writing this this week, where we got the idea that we kind of make the rules. When we look at the list describing what Jesus envisioned for his church, I get the strong sense that he's not making just kind of mere suggestions. I don't really hear him saying, you know, if it works out for you, you know, try to get along with other people and, and be united and, and be humble with one another. But, you know, hey, if, it's, if I'm asking too much, you know, that's fine. We can probably figure out a different way to do this thing. I'm pretty sure what I hear him saying is that if his people and the lost and broken world that we're kind of surrounded by are going to be healed and transformed, then his church has got to be open and willing to trust him. That his way of experiencing a community is better than what we could come up with. And then trusting him, you know what, God, that if I'm going to do that, I can't do it in my own strength. I've got to rely on you if that's going to be possible. And then really giving us the desire to be a part of a life-giving body of believers on earth more than we want our own comfort. Because that's really what it comes down to a lot of us. It's, it's a comfort issue. And what it is, you know, bottom line is really it's, it's called obedience. It's called allowing Jesus to be Lord of our life and allowing God to be Lord of his church. And to be real honest with you, most of us don't like it. I know I don't. I like the stuff in the Bible that tells me about the things that I get, right? I love reading the stuff about how much Jesus loves me and how forgiving he is for me and, and how he's got this place he's preparing for me in the future, you know, that I'm going to go be with him. That stuff's exciting. It's that other part of the Bible where he starts talking about, hey, I need you to, I need you to be humble and I need you to be self-sacrificing and I need you, as we're going to talk about today, considering others better than ourselves. Those things don't get the attention of my heart quite as much, you know? And I've got to be honest with you, um, I kind of got stuck on this word humility, and it's kind of been haunting me all week, because I had a different message that I was going to give today, um, but God wouldn't let me go there. And I think it all started with that verse that we looked at last week, and we just saw up on the screen from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, where he said, be completely humble and gentle. Not just a little bit humble and gentle, as we talked about last week, but completely, which means that there is absolutely no room, zero, for any pride, any harshness in our relationships with one another. So then I'm reading through this daily prayer book that I read, and there's usually like one prayer that the author kind of repeats uh, time and again. And this week, the, the, as I'm reading through on Tuesday, it said, Humble us in your presence, Lord. Three different times. Humble us in your presence. And then I'm reading in, in Bonhoeffer's book that we looked at a couple weeks ago called Life Together. And I come across a section on ministry entitled The Ministry of Meekness. And I think, oh boy, that sounds like a blast. So here's what Bonhoeffer had to say, just a little snippet. He said, he who would learn to serve must first learn to think little of himself. Now, that in itself doesn't sound that intimidating unless you're like me, because I think a lot of myself. 
Okay, self-confidence has never been an issue for me at all. Um, I took this, this, uh, this test about, I don't know, eight years ago or so. Um, my old Young Life leader from high school went to work for the Gallup organization that does all the polls and stuff you see on TV. Well, they developed this test called Strengths Finder, and it's supposed to kind of identify your strengths in life, and, and it prints out like this novel. You know, it's one of those eerie tests that just describes you, you know, and you're like, who's watching me? Where are the cameras in my house, you know? And it, it talks about, hey, here are the, here are the strengths you have, and here the, here's the, the great side of those strengths, and then here's kind of the dark side of those strengths. And one of my strengths, obviously, is somebody who's kind of, you know, starting a church is that I'm, I'm an activator, and I, I can get things done, and I can take a vision and, and rally people and all that. But I'm pretty sure that there was a phrase in there, kind of on the dark side, that said something like this thinks too highly of himself and his abilities. So that's what I'm dealing with personally when it comes to then trying to do community with other people is that I'm just arrogant and prideful. So that's fun. Bonhoeffer in the book goes on to quote uh, a 15th century Catholic monk named Thomas Akempis, and this is what he said. This is the highest and most profitable lesson, truly to know and to despise yourself, to have no opinion of ourselves, and to think always well and highly of others is great wisdom and perfection. That was fun to read. I want you guys to go ahead and open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Page 788 if you're using the Pew Bibles. <clears throat> Romans 12, 3. Paul says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with your measure of faith, with the measure of faith God has given you. So I got Thomas Akempis over here telling me that I need to truly know and despise myself. And then I got Paul saying, you know, you shouldn't think more of yourself than, than you ought. You need to think of yourself with sober judgment. The problem for me is that I exert a lot of energy trying to make myself look and appear better than I really am. I want to portray this certain kind of public persona because when I come face to face with my true nature of who I know I really am, the... Uh, the ugly thoughts and actions that go through my mind and out of my mouth, I fight really hard to try to hide those things from people around me so that I don't get found out. And that tendency that we all have to conceal and to self-protect, as you can imagine, it creates tremendous barriers for community and really doing life together. So as we consider, how do we make this transition from kind of loosely connected people out here in the pews to the, a body of believers here at Wellspring, a family, perfectly united in mind and thought? Why does it all begin and hinge on humility? That's me asking you a question. Why does it all begin and hinge on humility? 
Anyone? Too humble to answer? Yes, Dave, thank you for sparing us the pain any longer. Yeah, that's great. He said, if you start off knowing that it's not going to be because of you and your ability to make it happen, then when something does happen, you give the credit and glory to God instead of to yourself. That's, that's great. What else? What else does humility have to be the foundation? Yeah, that's great. If you're humble, you, you look and see what other people might have to offer to the equation more so than maybe what you're going to bring to the table to make it happen. That's great. Yeah, Will? Okay, Will said we all suck really bad. Is that, I can sum that up for you? Okay, yeah, John? Yeah, so John just talks about, you know, us valuing other people's contribution, okay? That if everybody has something to value and to, to offer and we value that, then it just creates this, this network of people or this enthusiasm, this, this potential um, of what our community can be if we value other people. Humility has to be the foundation for us to begin building, you know, what life together and what a church family looks like. Because as long as I see myself as better than somebody else, as long as I see myself as not being able to commit certain sins that other people commit, and so then I kind of elevate myself of, oh, I'm, I'm above that or I'm beyond that, you can't have true fellowship with people who you think you're better than. You can't create family and deep community with this sense of, of I'm up here and they're down there. Because that immediately puts up walls and barriers. And you can feel it. You've been in communities and in your family or around friends with people who think that they're better than you. It doesn't make you want to hang out with them a lot and share anything meaningful. It's certainly not your flaws, right? Well, here's, that's part of the problem. Here's, there's a lot of parts of the problem, I think. I'm just going to outline a few this morning. One of the things I started thinking about was, you know, 50, 75, 100 years ago in America... People chose their churches for very different reasons than they do today. 
One is that a lot more people were living in small towns. It's a much more rural society where you might have just one church or two churches in your town. And you just didn't have a lot of options. So you just stuck it out with whoever was there. You know, this Baptist church on the hill or whatever. I mean, that was your family. That was it. So good or bad, you stuck with it. If you were in maybe a bigger city like a St. Joe, you might have, you know, people tended to pick them by denominations. You know, you were going to go to the Methodist or the Baptist or the Lutheran because you were dyed in the wool Catholic or whatever it was. And you might have two or three options in town, but you were really, really committed to that name on the sign when you walked in. I'm Baptist. And so I'm going to stick here at this Baptist church, whether I like the pastor or don't, or things get ugly or don't, you just hung in there. Well, now in the last 30 to 40 years in America, this whole idea and this phrase called church shopping is kind of a a part of our normal religious language. And people pick where they go to church based on very different things. Location doesn't really matter near as much as it used to. People will drive a long way to go someplace that they're excited about. We've got people that come here from Atchison and Maryville and Cameron and, you know, they're willing to drive. So that's not as big of an issue. People don't really tend to care quite as much about denominations as they used to. A lot of people like me, I didn't grow up going to church, so denominations don't really mean anything to me. And there's a lot more other options out there of non-denominational churches, so that doesn't drive us. What really drives us now is, is more of what we're attracted to, the style, the feel of the service, whether or not our friends go there, or what that church might have to offer you in terms of programs for your kids or for adults or ministries. So when we get disgruntled in our current church situations, or maybe have in the past, we feel this tremendous freedom in today's society to just, you know what, I'm just going to pick up my family and go find someplace else to go. And you may or may not tell anybody you're leaving. I've had plenty of people kind of slink out the back door of here, and I've never seen them again. And so you can imagine what kind of barriers to community that that kind of mentality creates as well. I think another hindrance to Christian community is the fact that we all have this biological family that we can't choose. And we all have a lot of goofy and downright disturbing people in our family, right? We have these aunts, uncles, cousins, parents maybe, siblings, hopefully not spouse, that, that we would just as soon not spend a lot of time with, but they keep showing up at the family functions, right? And we're stuck at those holidays, And so, and we have to kind of hang in there with them because they're blood, right? So I think the reality is, is that when we enter into settings like, like church, the last thing we want is difficult relationships. It's like, man, I've already got this baggage over here that I can't choose. So if I'm going to choose who I'm going to hang out with. And so we, we, we go into church settings. I think sometimes we start kind of gravitating towards people who are kind of like-minded, who are kind of easy for us to get along with, or maybe they're in the same life stage as we are or whatever. And we create within a church, even this size, little, little social circles. And we kind of ignore the fact that there's maybe a hundred other people here who are just as deserving and worthy of being pursued and loved as the people that are easy for you to get along with. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, page 815. Philippians chapter 2, 
This is Paul writing again to the church in Philippi, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. So if you've been blessed by Christ's love and by his tenderness and compassion towards you when, when you were tough to love, then Paul encourages us and God commands that we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. My Bible commentary said this about that verse. It says, selfish ambition and vain conceit are the mortal enemies of unity and harmony in the church. Not try to be a little bit more humble or unselfish. Not, you know, try to be a little less conceited. But do nothing, do nothing out of selfishness or vanity. The standard is perfection. And I was having lunch with uh, Justin, our drummer there, on Friday. And I was just asking him, I was like, what do you think about all this completely and perfectly and do-nothing stuff we've been hearing? I mean, is that even possible? Like, does that bother you that Jesus is so demanding, that the standard is so high? But you know, I, the way I thought about it was this, is that if, if Jesus left us any wiggle room, like if he just said, you know what, try really hard and maybe like 85 to 90%, that'll be acceptable, that'll be great. Who, who would be the judge of how we're doing? And I'm, like I said, I think a lot of myself, right? So I tend to give myself really high scores. <laughs> so if it was left up to me, man, if I was trying pretty hard and doing pretty good, I'd be thinking, man, I'm awesome. I've got this Christian thing down, right? But when the standard is perfection, that changes everything because I know I'll never get there. And so what that does to me is a couple things. Is it, for one, it humbles me. And it also makes me realize that, that I'm going to have to rely on God to see any growth in that area instead of just my own ability. And so our, our desire, our, our passion becomes fueled by this. We strive to imitate Christ in selflessness and humility because we appreciate his self-sacrifice. We appreciate the humility that he showed in becoming like us to provide a, a way for us to have a deep relationship with him through his death on the cross. Love has to be the thing that compels us, not, not a sense of duty to be perfect. Because that, we'll wear out on that quick because we'll never be perfect. So we can't just throw in the towel. It has to be because Jesus loves me. <laughs> I want to honor him and I want to strive for perfection. The last part of that little section we looked at says, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. I hope we're all starting to get the picture that this journey that we're on this year about learning about how to do life together, guys, it's, it's bigger than just joining a small group. That's just a little piece of the puzzle of, of getting into communion with others. Jesus' vision of oneness and complete unity in his church 
demands that we take a long and serious and thoughtful look at the ways in which our pride and selfishness are a hindrance to this church community. I just don't think that there are any shortcuts to the kind of humility required to be willing to be family with a bunch of people who maybe are strangers to you now or were strangers to you six months, a year ago, two years ago. People that you might not normally hang out with if you had the choice. People who don't act or think or look like you do. In order to to make the decision that I'm going to be family with these people requires a lot of humility on our part. This is your family. What kind of relationship are you going to have with these people? Really, the better question to ask is, what kind of relationship does Jesus demand that you have with these people? As a sign to the world that there's a better and more meaningful way to live. You know, before we can move into the topics that I think you probably know are coming this year, topics like forgiveness and generosity and thanksgiving and encouragement, all those things that are kind of marks of good Christian family, we have to begin with an understanding of Christ's example of humility and a better understanding of who we are. You know, somebody uh, told me a long time ago, and it's kind of stuck in my head, that the ground of the foot of the cross is level. So it doesn't matter how special you think you are or what kind of education you got or what kind of job title you have now or what kind of status the world gives you because of whatever. In the end, we are all united by our common need as sinners for a savior. We are wholly incapable of redeeming ourselves, completely dependent on the mercy of God to forgive us And give us the opportunity to have eternal life with him. We are equals in that regard. We must begin with unity in our shared spiritual poverty. God is giving us the opportunity to experience love and to experience acceptance at a much deeper level than the world can offer us. Because the love and acceptance as the world offers us is based on performance. It's based on what you can do for me. You know, how valuable or useful are you? God's love and the community of believers that we share life with, it's an invitation to freedom. Because it's not based on what we do, it's based on what God has done for us. And through mutual, mutual humility, we enter into this place every week, undeserving and grateful for the unconditional love that we've been shown. And then we grow in that our ability to extend that same grace and love to those around us. But guys, here's the, here's the bottom line. We cannot be humble if we are not willing to reflect. We have got to take time. And we've got to go to God and we've got to say, God, I'm giving you permission to shine the light into me. And I say this a lot. God, I need you to show me the ways in which my pride and my selfishness is a hindrance to me really experiencing deep and meaningful community with others. So I'm asking you, would you be willing to do that in just your own personal time with God, 
as a couple with a group of friends, say, God, I want to see it. I want to see the ways in which my pride and selfishness are a hindrance. Otherwise, our study this year on doing life really together just becomes an exercise in niceness. How can we be more nice to one another? And God's vision is much bigger than that. He doesn't need just a bunch of nice people because our niceness isn't really that nice. Our journey together begins with humility, whether we like it or not. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, in 1 Peter 5, 5, you say this, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And Lord, when I hear that phrase, clothe yourselves, I always think of going to the closet and Lord, we go to the closet every day to, to clothe ourselves in the, in the garments that we put on. And Lord, each morning with you, we need to go to the spiritual closet and we need to make the choice to put on the garments of humility. God, we've got to begin each day with a right and proper view of who we are and, and who you were willing to be so that we might have life and love and forgiveness and the things you offer us. God, help us to not think more of ourselves than we ought to. Lord Jesus, in order for us to really create community, Father, we have to consider others better than ourselves, and that is hard. God, we are prideful and arrogant and conceited people. Father, I pray that you would just put it on our hearts to be willing and open to have ourselves kind of exposed some of those dark things about ourselves that we don't want to really come to terms with those things are hindrances to community and god we pray that you would root them out of our lives crush them <laughs> transform them change them god not because it's a sense of obedience and i have to do this so that i'll be a good christian but god give us a desire to do it because your love compels us to God, we want to do it. We want to be humble. We want to be gentle. We want to be forgiven. We want to be loving because you were those things to us. Let that be our passion. Let that be what fuels us. Lord Jesus, take and transform this community of Wellspring Church, God, so that we can go out into St. Joe and into Uganda and all parts of the world and spread the aroma and the fragrance of, of unity, of family everywhere that we go to show people that there's a different way of doing life together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close this morning?